Amen, amen. You'll be glad to know that uh, our uh, praise team is uh, streaming and uploading uh, songs all the time. In fact, they're going to begin on May 26, streaming the song that they sang here on Easter Sunday on Resurrected. They followed the message, believe it or not. They wrote the song based on the message of the resurrection, Raised Unstoppable. You remember that? So you can download it uh, every week or every other week on a regular basis, starting with May 26. Now, I'm going to start the message this morning by asking a question. Answer it to yourself. Do you have a vision for your life? Just before you jump the gun and say, wait a minute, Michael, this is for leaders, for pastors, for vision, is for CEOs and big companies and big institutions, it's not for me, I'm only in the sixth grade. <laughs> so before you do this, I'm going to define vision for you so that every single person at the sound of my voice, not only in this beautiful sanctuary, but the millions who are watching around the world, will be able to identify with having a vision for your life, each of you. Now, I learned this definition that I'm going to come to in a minute about 50 years ago from a, a godly wise man who went to be with the Lord. And that is why I want to share it with you because it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my thinking and my ministry completely. So are you ready for it? But before I do that, <laughs> I'll give you that simple definition. I want to hasten to say that every child of God, regardless of your age, if Jesus is the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life, you have to have a vision for your life. You must operate on that basis of that vision. Now, that vision can be big or small. That vision can be local or global. This vision can be reaching one person or masses of, peop of people. And that can be a vision for uh, impacting one life or many. The most important thing about having that vision for your life is that it has to be God-honoring, God-glorifying, and God-led, and that way it gets God's blessing. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me use an illustration from a great spiritual, theological book, Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> because it will illustrate what I'm trying to say as I'm going to keep saying it throughout the message. Alice was asking her cat, Cheshire, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. Alice said, I don't much care where. Then it doesn't really matter which way you go, said the cat. Truth from fiction. 
Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I need to give you that old wise friend's definition of having a vision for your life. A vision is this. When you hear it, it is so simple that everyone will identify with it. Okay, you ready for it? It is seeing the need and meeting the need. Did you get that? It is seeing the need and meeting the need. It's that simple. <laughs> I'm not talking about personal needs. We all have personal needs, and we all work toward providing for our personal needs. Everybody does that. But I'm talking about a spiritual. I'm talking about something that is in ministry, something that is serving God, uh, something that, that, that with which you are giving of yourself. Seeing and meeting the need should be done exactly where you are. You don't have to go across the world. You just go across the street. If you open your eyes, if you open your heart, God will not only show you the need, but He's going to qualify you. He's going to equip you to meet that need. Whatever you find yourself right now, at this very moment in your life, there are needs everywhere, all over the place, if you just open your eyes. So the question is, whether you're willing under God to meet that need once you've seen it. The truth is, there are a lot of Christian believers who see the need, and then they say, someone else will meet that need. Or, I'm going to pray that God will raise somebody to meet the need. It's a cop-out. Or I pray that God Himself will meet the need without me. Or let's have a meeting and discuss this need. <laughs> no, 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 no. God, who showed you the need, wants you to meet that need. So by God's grace, you can say, by God's grace alone, by God's power alone, by God's strength alone, I will step up and meet that need. You know, I'm always upfront with you. I don't do the preacher thing. <laughs> I think most of you <laughs> regularly here know that. Um, because I can tell you right up right now, this does not mean it's going to be easy. I don't tell you that. It's not going to be easy. It does not mean that there is no price associated with your willingness to meet that need. It doesn't mean there is no cost of meeting that need or that you're not going to experience apprehension or even fear in, uh, and hesitancy in attempting to meet that need. No. For over 50 years in ministry, I found that this is to be absolutely true. Every time I see a need and every time I hear the voice of God telling me, you need to meet this need, Every time, every time, I panic. <laughs> when God says, I will equip you, I will strengthen you, I still panic. I can tell you truthfully, not one time, not one time, not one time, that I did not ask the Lord, please ask somebody else. 
Not one time, not one time that I did not feel unworthy. That's the sanctimonious talk. Or unqualified. Not one time did I not feel apprehensive or even fearful at times, depending on what it is. Not one time, not one time I did not feel unwilling to pay the price. Uh, Not one time that I did not feel lazy and and, and balk at the thought. Not one time that I did not say, oh no, you did not mean that for me. You must meet, meet somebody else. But I also can testify to the glory of God alone that He and He alone did all of the heavy lifting once I said, I do. Now, we have been looking, for those of you who are visiting, we have been looking at godly women of old, and what can they teach our internet generation? And so, we looked through Hannah and Jacobit, and now I conclude this series of messages by looking at a woman of vision. And you will understand the definition once I get to that. Remember the definition? You see what? And you meet what? Well, some of you got it. The rest of you still haven't had coffee yet. She was an ordinary Jewish woman who was living under the yoke of the Persian exile. You remember the Jews when Babylon invaded Israel, and they took the Jews captives. They took them into exile in Babylon. But once the Babylonian empire collapsed or defeated by the Persians, the Persians became the superpower of that day, and they inherited all these exiles, especially the Jewish exiles. This ordinary woman saw a need and met the need and saved an entire race of people. Oh, but again, it did not mean that she was not tempted not to meet that need. Oh, she was tempted. It does not mean that she was not terrified, I'm going to show you, of meeting that need, or that she uh, did not experience doubt, anxiety, as she was meeting that need. Listen to me, please. All these challenges, they just go with the territories. They, will go, they go with the territories. So don't be surprised by them. When you, but she became a woman of vision. And when you want to become a woman of vision, man of vision, you will experience these things. But under God, He will strengthen you to overcome. Can I get an amen? amen. Here's what I want you to listen to. But listen, please listen carefully. There is nothing wrong with feeling self-doubt at times, not all the time. If it's all the time, you need some help. (laughs) Talk to one of our pastors. There's nothing wrong with experiencing apprehension at times, especially when you're meeting a big challenge. There is nothing wrong with feeling anxious at times, not all the time. But the question is, will you trust God enough to get you through all these challenges? Will you? Thank you. Now, her Hebrew name was Hadassah. 
But as usual, the Babylonians and then the Persians always changed the Jewish names and gave them local names. So they called her Esther. Esther. After her parents died, she became an orphan. So a close relative, we're not sure how, but possibly an uncle, adopted her, and she became, and he became her adopted father. She became his adopted daughter. This godly man, her adopted father, Mordecai, he occupied a high-level office in the court of the king of Persia. Through the sovereign intervention of God, through God's hand working behind the scene, Esther becomes the queen of Persia, the wife of the king. Think about this with me, please, please. A Jewish girl becomes the queen of the king of the superpower of the day, an exile. Of course, being a Jew was only known to her and to her adopted father, Mordecai. That was kept a secret, not even from her husband, the king. Nobody else knew it. No doubt Mordecai taught Esther as he was bringing her up. He taught her how to be faithful to Yahweh. And in midst of this pagan environment, no doubt he taught her the Scriptures. No doubt he taught her about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mordecai himself worked in the palace and therefore he became a role model for her how to stand firm in her faith in the midst of this pagan culture of the palace. Uh, he set the example of refusing to compromise his biblical conviction even though it was dangerous for him to do so. He was role model of how to refuse to get swept off your feet by, by, by the strappings of power. I've not come to the real story yet. <laughs> Relax. I'm not, I haven't got to the story. I haven't even got to the Bible. You see, in those days when King Xerxes was on the throne of Persia, there was a second in command. There was a number two man in the palace by the name of Haman. Haman was a bloodthirsty, ambitious, egotistical maniac, and a drunk with power. Haman was determined to eliminate the Jewish race altogether, not just in Persia, but everywhere in the world. Remember, this was not just any group of people. It's not any just ethnic group of people. These were the people in whose, some of whose loins are going to be born, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Haman's plan, plan was diabolical. And don't ever forget, whether it be in Egypt or later in Babylon or anywhere, Satan had worked over time to destroy the Jewish race simply because he knew the Bible. And he knew what the Bible said, that the Messiah will be born from the Jewish folks. The moment he heard Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of the woman is going to come to be the redeemer of the world and is going to basically destroy Satan, and he's been working overnight to eliminate them so that Jesus would not be born. It's a diabolical plan. And all 
started when Mordecai, in the palace, refused to bow down to Haman as God. And so out of vendetta, Haman wanted to liquidate the entire Jewish race from the face of the earth. When Mordecai hears of this dreadful plan, he immediately goes to the Lord. He prays and he fasts. He calls upon Yahweh. He said, come and save your people yet again. He calls upon Yahweh to intervene. Mordecai saw the need, and he met the need. Even if it's just praying and fasting, sometimes that is a great meeting of the need. But not, that's not all. He enlists the help of his adopted daughter, the queen of Persia, to save her people. Queen Esther became totally distraught, to say the least. I'm going to show you in the Scripture. She was so distraught over this whole situation and her precarious position in the palace and where she was, where she found herself uh, first and hearing of this dreadful news, uh, she panics. And who would blame her, right? Hello? Oh, come on now. Would you blame her? No, God bless you. And this is a textbook example of what I've been trying to tell you regarding having a vision for your life. When you develop this vision for your life, is prepared to see the need and meet the need, you're going to see it, and you're going to be active, and God is going to use you in a mighty way that you never thought possible you, that you can do in your life. She saw the need and ultimately met the need, but it doesn't mean she was not thinking twice about it. She thought twice about meeting that need. Again, who would blame her? Listen to me. She knew what happened to her predecessor, Queen Vashti. She just did the wrong thing once, and she was finished. She knows what happens in that kind of environment. And don't forget, now Esther's life is on the line. Her life is on the line. All that she worked for, all that she has accomplished is on the line. Everything she achieved is now on the line. I wonder how many of us, including your pastor, would be willing to meet the needs that God has shown you and called you to meet it when it requires placing everything on the line. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me up there in the balcony? I know it's very easy sitting up there. Are you with me? I want to hear from you. God bless you. I think most of us, when we see a need, even when God convicts us, equips us, qualifies us to meet the need, we would say, oh, isn't that too bad? 
Isn't that bad? It's too bad this happening. Or we need to pray that God would raise somebody to meet that need. Listen, I know, I've been around a lot of sanctimonious people. Oh, what can little old me do? I mean, this is huge. Meanwhile, the finger of the Holy Spirit pointing to you and say, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Reaction would be, oh, not really. Surely not me. How can I do that? Now, beloved, please listen to me. I have been there several times in my life. When the Holy Spirit unmistakably says, it's you. And I'll say, surely not me. He didn't mean that. (laughs) As if I'm questioning God. (laughs) Surely he didn't mean that. You don't mean me. It's like when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Remember the story in the book of Judges? And he comes to Gideon, you know what he said to him? He said, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks around and says, well, there's nobody behind me. I think you made a mistake. That's, you know, surely you're not talking to me. I'm afraid of my shadow. I walk against the wall. I, I, I'm terrified of my shadow. I think you got me wrong here. You got the wrong man. I think you got the wrong address. There's another street, the same name as our street, and the same guy named Gideon. You just confused the two of us. Same thing happened with Moses. When God called, you know what, God, what he said? He said, Lord, you don't understand. I only stutter every time I speak. <laughs> God would say, I equipped you. 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 I qualified you. I gifted you. I prepared you for this. I have blessed you so that you may be able to meet this need. Oh, but God, (laughs) you got the wrong woman. You got the wrong man. You got the wrong boy. You got the wrong girl. God, you need to raise up some mighty woman, some mighty man, some mighty boy or girl. Or you protest and say, well, but Lord, that means... I'm going to be risking my reputation. Lord, I'm going to be risking everything that I worked for. Lord, I'll be risking every free moment in my life. Lord, I'll be risking my comfort. That's the curse of our modern time. We don't want our comfort to be disturbed. Lord, but I'll be risking my security. Lord, I'll be risking my future. Lord, I'll be risking a great deal of opposition. Lord, I'll be risking everything. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who gave you everything? Who gave you everything? Who gave you everything? Yell it out. Who gave you everything? They want to answer that question. 
The answer will empower you. And that's why Mordecai challenged Queen Esther when she hesitated. Even there might be temporary hesitation, but she hesitated. As I said, who would blame her, right? His challenge to Queen Esther ought to be memorized by everyone at the sound of my voice. Certainly everyone in this room, and I know there are millions are watching around the world, but I want everybody at the sound of my voice to memorize that response, that challenge. I'm going to come back to something else I want you to memorize. He said to her, who knows? God may have brought you to the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of Persia for such a time. Who knows? God brought you to the kingdom for such a time. Can we say that together? Who knows? God brought you to the kingdom for such a time. I wonder, you know, I don't, I don't ask you for much, okay? So I really don't ask you to participate, or, but I'm going to ask you to participate today. All right? Are you ready? Everybody, take your finger, right hand, and point it to yourself. Point yourself. I'm watching you. Point to yourself. Now I want you to, and, and, and I want you to say the following. Hear the words up there. God brought me into his kingdom for such a time. Will you do it with some enthusiasm, please? Let's do it again. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. Listen to me. In these challenging days in which we live, I believe the Lord is saying to every one of us, young or old, if you would allow yourself just to be quiet and quiet your spirit down and listen to my voice, you will hear him say this to you, that he brought you to the kingdom for such a time. He will call you by name, of course. He knows you by name. He loves you by name. He has a plan for your life by name. He had redeemed you before the foundation of the earth by name. Bob, John, Sue, Jenny, call you by name. I brought you to the kingdom for such a time. Beloved, the very first moment after discerning the need, the very first moment after discovering the need, the very first moment you're seeing the need, your next word should be, Lord, how can you use me to meet that need? Can I get an amen? amen. Every girl, every boy, every man and every woman should pray that prayer. Lord, you brought me to the kingdom for such a purpose. Help me fulfill your purpose in my life. God brought you to his kingdom so that you might know his vision for your life and obey that vision for your life.
Now, I don't have to tell you that these days, in the days of pew setting, you know, it's like we babysit and we house set. There's some people for many years pew setting. I've told you 30 years ago that day is, 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 is come to an end. 30 years ago. Now it's really has come to an end. It's over. It's gone. This is a new day. This is a different time. We live in very dangerous times, more dangerous in my lifetime. We live in the most challenging times in my lifetime. We live in the most crucial times in generations. Therefore, it is time for everyone who knows and loves Jesus to be active somehow, somewhere. And beloved, time is of the essence. Time is short. Time is urgent. Time is fleeting. I want to read to you something that somebody has wrote a number of years ago. I've not always been, I will not always be, but right now, I'm on the move, measuring out life. People wait for me. Oh, they submit to me. They fear me. But no one can stop me except the Lord. Most people think that I'm on the move forever, but I'm not. When God stops me, that will be it. Then it will be too late. Too late to forgive your brother. Too late to apologize to your sister. Too late to make an amends. When an old, with an old friend. Worst of all, it will be too late to accomplish something great for God. My name is time. And when, I'm, when I come to my end, you will go with me to eternity. God brought every one of you to his kingdom for such a time. God has prepared this church for 36 years for such a time. God brought you to his kingdom at this point of history. It is not so that you may moan and complain, as a lot of people are doing. It's not so that you might sulk and that you are sour. No. It's not so that you may regret Somebody said to me a few days ago, he said, oh, I just regret the fact that my grandchildren will not know the country I knew. Stop regretting and start doing. Please listen to me. This is not a time for wistfulness or wishfulness. This is the time to roll up your sleeves and start making a difference. Say, God, 
what would you have me do? This past week, I met in two different meetings with two different friends and members of this church involved in to- two to- totally different things altogether. The bottom line was, it's no use cursing the darkness. We want the light, shine the light. One is involved in a big endeavor with the, with the economy, and the other one impacting future generation of children through writing. Guess what I did? I became a cheerleader without the short skirt and the pom-poms. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a horror show. Beloved, only focusing on the problem, only complaining about the problem, only focusing on the challenge, only exercising what I call the paralysis of analysis will get you nowhere. We'll get the church nowhere. We'll get the believers nowhere. You know, so far, as you know, normally I ask you to open the Scripture very early in the piece, but I waited deliberately today to open the Scripture until now. And I want you to open the Scripture to the book of Esther, chapter 4. In the Pew Bible, page 780, grab a, one from under you or in front of you and follow with me. Only two verses, only two verses. And I pray to God that you bring a Bible with you when you come. I often say, you don't go and play golf without golf clubs. Why do you come to church without a Bible? And now you have them on an iPhone and iPad and all those I things. (laughs) Book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 15 and When Esther finally recognized the desperate need and God's vision for her life to meet that need and save an entire race of people, here's what she said. Then Esther sent the reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Sosa, that's the capital city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And here's what I really need you to underline, to highlight, and I want you to go back to again and again and again. One sentence. If I perish, I perish. Say that with me. If I perish, I perish. Oh, beloved. There's something you may need to understand why she said that. For anyone in the palace of the king of Persia, anyone, including the wife of the king, cannot just come to him 
at wish or whim. In fact, they expected no less than 30 days notice. How many days? 30 days notice. Well, they don't have 30 days. They don't have 30 hours. The king can call anyone, anywhere in the whole empire, and they have to jump immediately to their feet, come into the king, report to him. Seconds. Ah, oh, but not others who want to need or want or need to meet with the king. 30-day notice. And that applies to the queen. That was known as the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Hopefully you studied that in history. The laws of the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be changed, not even for the queen. And that is why she said, if I perish, I perish. Oh, my dear friends, that's what you call risking everything. Everything. That's what you call putting it all on the line. Mordecai challenge to the queen as she boils down to this. Listen carefully. These are my own words, not the scripture words. Ask yourself the question, why are you in the palace to begin with? Why did God favor you that way? Why did God privilege you that way? Why did God bless you in this way? Why? You are a Jewish woman. Of all the women in the realm, become the queen of the king of Persia, the superpower of the day. Oh, 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 listen. There are more beautiful women around. There were more qualified women. There were more connected women. There were perhaps more capable women of the thousands upon thousands of women in the empire. God called you. God placed you. God favored you. I know most of you in this church believe this. I know that. You believe in the sovereignty of God. I know that. And you know that as far as God is concerned, he could do anything, right? I mean, he could click his fingers. People would be saved. He can click his fingers. Things would happen. And listen, I don't know why, but God chose to accomplish his purpose through his obedient children. I don't know why he did that. Please listen to me. God saved you from sin and hell for a purpose. God has given you spiritual gifts for a purpose. God has uniquely blessed you the way he did for a purpose. God has placed you where you are for a purpose. God has given you the privileges that he's given you for a purpose. God has given you the opportunities that he has given you for a purpose. God has given you the family that he has given you for a purpose. God has given you the challenges that you are facing for a purpose. God has given you the job that, you, that he has given you for a purpose. God has given you the resources that he has given you for a purpose. And the question is, what will you do 
with them for Him and for His glory. He doesn't give you all of that so that you might look the other way and pretend you're not seeing what's going on. No, 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 no. Rather, so that you would be ready and willing to say, here I am. That's all he's asking you to do. Here I am. Say it with me. Please don't wait until life passes you by and then be filled with regrets of lost opportunities. Exercise God's vision for your life now. I can tell you this. If everyone at the sound of my voice, certainly everyone in this beautiful sanctuary, would commit to reaching one person, start praying for that person, start witnessing that person, start, I tell you, we'd have a revival in our time. I never cease to be amazed. You hear me say that all the time. I never cease to be challenged personally by that motley crew, a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of fishermen, and how it was said of them, they turned the world upside down. That's always a challenge to me. With all of our sophistications in this education and technology and degrees and everything else, they're a bunch of fishermen. They turn their world upside down. I pray to God not a single person would just say, oh, that's not for me. That's for the person next to me. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here who would hear this message. No, no, no. It's for you and you and you and you and you and you. Would you stand up with me, please? God, I'm not informing you of what you, you already know, but you called a 20-year-old. He could not put two sentences together. And I know you can call anyone, and you're calling everyone. It is my prayer, my pleading with you, Holy Spirit, do not allow a single person who walk out of here the same way they came in. Do not allow a single person who would not say, here I am, Lord, send me. For I know you're a mighty God. You're a powerful God. You're the God of the impossible. Your arm is not short. You're the God of power and might. And Father, I long to see your hand working in this body of believers to transform the world. Because we love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. And all of God's people said amen.